This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all new, better than ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. This podcast is sponsored by Royal London, who, as proud sponsors of One Day Cricket, are also the UK's largest mutual life pensions and investment company, providing financial services to millions of people across the country. To find out more, visit www.royallondon.com. Welcome to the analyst Inside Cricket. I'm Simon Hughes, celebrating the fact that England are already in the semi-finals of the Champions Trophy. In fact, it hasn't been much of a problem for them so far. Two wins, and I think the most impressive thing is that they've won one game batting second, chasing quite a big score, and then really impressively today, they've won bowling second and really defending what wasn't a massive score. So they've shown you know, strength in depth. Well, arguably it was their best performance of the summer so far. We'll discuss it in a moment. We'll also look at the Champions Trophy in general. It's nearly a week old now. We'll discuss some of the talking points so far. Should teams bat first more often when they win the toss? Why can't teams get on with the game? How bad were Pakistan against India? And we'll reveal our Royal London Player of the Week. So please continue to leave reviews of this podcast on iTunes. We'd love to know what you think. And you can subscribe to the Analyst Inside Cricket so you get the programme automatically each week. You just click on the button where it says subscribe. So England played 2-1-2. How impressed were you with England's performance against New Zealand? Really impressed. If you think back to, you know, say, the last World Cup we had here in 99... We didn't even qualify for the from the group stages, and I remember the tournament song was was sort of publicised, and England were already out of the the competition by the time that I think it was a Dave Stewart number, wasn't before it? Before it was out. even officially released, yeah. yeah, England were out before it was officially even released. So here and here now they're in the semi finals, deservedly so. Just a, a, a really thoroughly good performance today against New Zealand. Batting-wise, probably they could have got a few more, but 310 was a good score on that pitch. And I just really like the way the bowlers approached it. The the discipline with both Mark Wood and Jake Ball, who haven't had an awful lot of experience in one-day cricket. You know, you think about Mark Wood's only played, what, 15, 16 ODIs and, and Jake Ball a lot less. And the, the pressure, the potential pressure of, of bowling at Guptill and Ronke at the top, both very experienced, both dangerous, and obviously Kane Williamson... 
and then through the whole discipline of the, of the bowling attack, the fielding, you know, even watching someone like Adil Rashid, who doesn't find it easy bowling at Cardiff, the short straight boundaries, but he went through his different repertoire, he varied his pace, the bowling changes were clever, and with Rashid, who is sometimes a bit of a weak link in the field, watching him at third man attack the ball and hurl it in, keeping the, the runs to one instead of two to third man, taking a good diving catch, missed one off his own bowling, admittedly, but generally... I just think England all round just looks so strong and so confident. Yeah, Rashid's definitely improved his fielding. I know we we was, we slightly differed over this. I thought three hundred and ten was a was a really good score. I know, yeah. f- looking at your uh, tweets and things like that uh, earlier in the day, you thought it was a sort of parish score. I thought England would win by sixty runs when they started bowling, but it did get quite tight at one stage with with Williamson batting supremely well. I think that the point about Williamson today was that it it was an awkward pitch to bat on, but because he's such a class player, Mm. he was able to deal with it until he got that unplayable ball from Mark Wood. Yeah, I think one of the reasons that I tried to put that 310 was a sort of parish score, in fact, I said 320 was a winning score, and there were two reasons for that. One was that I felt that the short boundaries straight do play into the batsman's hands a bit, and so you can score quickly down the ground and spinners can disappear. And secondly, England have a fairly inexperienced bowling attack, so I thought, well, if if they'd had the attack with sort of Chris Wokes in the side and uh, one or two more bowlers with a few more ODIs under their belt, 320 for, for sure was a, was a comfortable winning score. But with this bowling attack, I was a bit nervous. But they came up trumps superbly. Jake Ball holding his nerve, opening over, early wicket. Mark Wood never strayed from that really sort of aggressive back-of-the-length uh, method. And, and actually, Cardiff is a funny ground because, because of those short, straight boundaries, you dare not pitch the ball up too much. And because it's long square the wicket, you use a lot more short balls. Well, we saw that from New Zealand in, in, in there when they were bowling. But, but it's not only about short balls, it's about getting that extra bounce uh, from just back of the length to stop batsmen driving on the up, also to stop them pulling as well. And where they were clever, and I, you know, I've got a white kookaburra ball here, where they were clever was this use of the cross-scene delivery, which has become more and more in vogue in one-day cricket. The commentators were, were talking about it a lot in this particular match. And it's it's a very simple philosophy, which, funnily enough, I, I used to use a lot as a bowler. Uh, cross seam. Was it's it around a lot in your day? Well, it wasn't really, no. But but I think Stuart Broad's one of the people who sort of started it off quite a lot, probably five or six years ago. And the principle behind it is because the white ball doesn't swing much. So actually, there's not a lot of point in bowling it seam up, because it isn't going to swing. And quite often, if you bowl it seam up, the seam is tilted slightly to swing it away. So it actually lands on the side of the seam and sometimes misses the seam when you're trying to swing it. When you bowl cross seam, sometimes the ball hits the ridge of the seam and and sort of kicks. And sometimes it hits the shiny part of the ball and skids. So you actually get more uneven bounce from bowling cross seam deliveries. And obviously the batsman has no idea whether the ball is going to hit the seam when it's a cross-seam delivery or whether it's going to hit the shiny part of the ball and, and skid. And so it makes batting, actually, that little bit trickier. And, you know, in particular, Liam Plunkett has employed that, that method very, very effectively. I, I've got a lot of uh, admiration for him because, you know, he came to the, the team management a couple of years ago and said, look, I, you know, I really want to be part of this 
England outfit, what do I need to do to improve? And they said, well, you've got to find some, some more deliveries. You've got to make the ball do something. He isn't a natural swinger of the ball. The white ball doesn't swing anyway. So what did he do? He went away and worked on some, some variations with cross-seam deliveries, the odd backhand, uh, slower ball, the cutters, things like that. So he changes his pace, but within a, a blanket of consistency and accuracy and, and sort of potency... He's a hostile bowler with lots of little subtle variations, and he's he's taken twenty eight wickets this year in one day cricket. He's been outstanding. Well, he's, he's become an v- absolutely vital member of England's side now. When you, you you wouldn't even think of writing an England team without him in it. And if you see if you watch some of the deliveries he bowled today, they just went from nowhere into the nose of uh, Ross Taylor and a couple of other ones that it really puts batsmen off their stride. Mm. If a bowler's got that ability to bowl. Not very sure, and suddenly it's, it's in their face, facial area around their rib cage. It do, does make batsmen sort of a little, a little more timid. So, when do you bowl cross seam, and when don't you? Well, you can start bowling it in the first over. Why not? So you just bowl cross seam the whole time. Yeah, because all sixty balls why, in your spell. Why not? You can, if, if it's not going to swing, there isn't that much benefit in bowling it seam up, unless you think that the pitch is greenish and it might seam off the pitch. Therefore, you want to try and hit the ball on the seam as many times as possible. But if there's no real prospect of seam, sideways movement, deviation, actually, I don't see the point in in bowling seam up that much because the cross-seam version can create more variety than bowling it seam up. Well, one ball today was absolutely crucial in England's victory. It was the, the one that the extra bounce that Mark Wood found to dismiss Kane Williams. And I thought it was a really interesting piece of captaincy as well because Wood had bowled two overs of his spell, so he bowled seven. And you're thinking, as a probably possibly thinking as a captain, well, do I give him another one or do I hold him back three overs later on? When you think back to Southampton, how important he was there in England's amazing win mm. against South Africa, but Morgan yeah. kept him going. For that eighth over it was quite er, quite early on, relatively in the in the fifty overs, and it, and he got the wicket. He's one. He's just one of those bowlers, isn't he? If only England can keep keep him fit, only he can stay fit. He's so explosive, and and he's so optimistic all the time. And you know the key thing is for England, he takes that wickets in those middle overs. You know teams are setting themselves up. And you looked at the, the New Zealand run and chase today. Kane Williamson controlling it superbly. They were setting themselves up for sort of what ninety off ten at the end or eighty five off ten, something like that, with six wickets, seven wickets in hand. It was going beautifully for them. Wood came on, and you can't just take liberties with him because he might produce something unexpected. A wicked Yorker, a bouncer, even a slower ball sometimes. He goes a bit wide of the crease, tries something. He just keeps batsmen on their toes and can produce at nearly 90 miles an hour the odd unplayable delivery like today. It's something England haven't had in their one-day armoury really for a long time. Someone who can come on and take a wicket. Now they have got it. In the middle of the innings, you know, Plunkett or Rashid. Yeah. Or Wood. I mean, I don't think they're the perfect bowling lineup. They're not. They're not the, the complete, totally dominant bowling lineup that you'd fear when you went out to bat. But they, they're they're definitely much better than they used to be. And they've figured out, I think, definitely how to bowl at somewhere like Cardiff, where you do tend to to just go slightly shorter of the length. And now that they probably will top the group because their net run rate is one point zero, and Australia's net run rate is zero. So even if Australia beat England on Saturday at Edgbaston, they'll both have four points. England will top the group, which means they play this, the first semi-final at Cardiff. I think that will suit them, 
because they've got this bowling attack. You, you compare them to, say, the New Zealanders, who are slightly skiddier bowlers. They kiss the surface more. Southie and, and Trent Bolt in particular, even Adam Milne. Whereas England, tall, plunk it, ball... Uh, Stokes, you know, hits the pitch. Wood, obviously, you know, hit the pitch hard, and it just creates that little bit of uneven bounce at Cardiff, which makes run chasing tough. Mm, looking ahead, it, well, it's probably going to be India or South Africa. I think mm. England are going to play in, in the semi-finals. Um, Sri Lanka and Pakistan look, look quite ordinary sides. I mean, we're talking now on what, Tuesday evening after England have, have won the match. You know, things can change, obviously, this week, but it, it looks that way at the moment. Um, one sort of negative for England, and it's been like that way for a few weeks, Jason Roy at mm. the top of the order. Yeah, and just watching him back today, you can just see how batsmen lose their rhythm. You know, batting is as much about rhythm as bowling. And you can see Roy searching for his shots, stretching out and... and, and reaching for the ball, trying to get the drives away. I mean, he was a little bit unlucky today that a couple of early shots were brilliantly fielded, but obviously that happens in, in one-day cricket in, in, in this sort of era where one-day fielding is so good. And, you know, I don't know, he just looked ill at ease. And a couple of times he's got out, hasn't he, recently, trying to play those shots that, that only he can. He goes across his stumps and tries to flick it over the short, fine leg. I just think when your timing is wrong, you get those kind of shots wrong as well. And it might be, you want to get an ugly 40 or 50 and just scratch it around. But obviously it's difficult in one day cricket because you're out there to, to express yourself and get the team off to a flyer. And there isn't really the time for an ugly 50 or, or so on. So it's a tricky one. Bairstow has played so well in that, that game against South Africa the time is, is, is nigh where you could open with him instead. And as soon, as soon as Root came in and Roy, Roy got out, you know, everything was sort of at ease again, just stroking it around, making it look so easy. It's it's a very... I don't know, what do you think? Well, we, we've talked quite a bit on this podcast, haven't we, about it, England keep, sort of keeping their plans and and going with them. Having their plans, we have, we've had Paul Farbrace on, haven't we, saying things about, you know, we, we need to have players who play 30... One day internationals. We, you know, we need to have experience. Um, you, you don't just change things on, on the eve of a tournament. Although it's strange, of course, England digs. They left out Rashid, but I think there was that was a real horses for courses thing yeah, against that Bangladesh. Was a tactical yeah, because they've seen Bangladesh uh, be banked up by India in the warm up game two days before. Yeah, and they had a whole heap of seamers. They just thought, well, and also got, the Bangladeshis can play leg spin. Exactly, that's the as point. Well. Yeah, they they they, they find it easier to play against Rashid than they would against you know four four or five seamers. Yeah. so I can I can sort of understand. That although you know you think oh hold on a second England doing what they promised not to do and I I can see totally why Morgan has backed Jason Roy mm. although it's, a, no, it's, it's, it's it's a strange thing to say oh yeah he's definitely going to play the whole tournament isn't he but is it that you can actually carry a, a one player you know if you if, if if everyone else is functioning in most teams at any time there's always one player struggling isn't, and, there? And, isn't there and there's no doubt that the consistency of selection is hugely advantageous to a team because people feel comfortable in their position. You don't want complacency and, and players feeling that they, they just stay in the team automatically. You obviously want them to keep trying to improve. But the, to, to stay loyal to a group of players who are all totally committed to the cause, and in Roy's case, adds another dimension in that his fielding is, mm. is very dynamic as well. And so's Bearstows. So's Bearstows, absolutely true. It, it's, hard to, it's a hard one, isn't it? Uh, you know, 
I think they will probably stay loyal to Roy for one more game against the Aussies. Well, Dowie Morgan has said he's, he's, he's in for the tournament. He's in for the tournament, yeah. yeah. So, well, but you do feel sorry for Best. I mean, oh, last Thursday, on a glorious day at the Oval, Wokes walked off after four overs with a, with a side strain, and he got to field for 46 <laughs> overs, watching Bangladesh stroke the ball around on a, on a beautiful batting wicket in wonderful conditions, thinking, oh, I'm not going to get to bat later. And then, of course, he, England do bat, and, and Roy's out you know, very early on. You can, un, you can understand his, his frustration. I mean, the, other, the only other thing I would say is that you know, Best has been opening for Yorkshire a bit this season, but... That's a big change isn't it? Yeah. to put put someone who doesn't normally open yeah. right to the top of the order. And, and obviously, there's a Hales Roy sort of liaison which has done very well for England. And I like the way today that Hales, who could see that Roy was struggling a bit, took it on himself to keep the scoreboard going. He, he backed away a couple of times and walloped a couple of shots over the top, and he was really free. Uh, to try and take the pressure off Roy to give him time to get in. And there's no doubt that, you know, Hales Bearstow liaison would take longer mm-hmm. to, to gel. So there is this important consistency that they they want to kind of maintain England, which I think is important. And if you if you look back as well, and this is this is off the top of my head, but I think I'm I'm correct on this, that Roy's run of low scores isn't as long as Butler's yeah. run of low scores and Butler eventually came good this summer and he came good in the, in the New Zealand match as well so I'm so glad that, keep going yeah I, exactly and I'm so glad that England resisted the chance or the you know temptation to, to leave Butler out he had a poorish winter especially after Christmas and you know there's lots of calls on Twitter for oh, Butler's got to go bring Bearstow in but Butler has that X factor He's... which he showed again today you know nobody else scored at that rate 60 or 40 balls 40-odd balls, and, and he just hits the ball in, in undefendable places. So he's, he, he's, he's an absolute gold dust for well, me. He's my first or second name on the team sheet. And, and what about, in fact, stumping today as well? Down the leg side, completely shielded by the batsman, a wide from Rashid, whipped the bells off in a flash. Brilliant. There we go then. Most things are rosy in England's garden. We'll have a look at the, the other talking points from the tournament, including why can't teams just get on with the game more quickly? I mean, look at Sri Lanka bowling 50 overs in four hours and five minutes. And I wonder if teams should bat first more often. Lots of teams just insert as almost like a default position. Bat first, and then the pressure is not so great on you later in the game. We'll talk about those things after this short break. Right, well, welcome back to the second half of this programme. And you were at the India-Pakistan game, and we're not that impressed by Pakistan, I, I, I gather. Well, I looked at the team sheets at the start of the match, and you look, you match them up, and you think, no, oh, I reckon 70-30 India in this match. You know, in terms of prospects of, of winning, really should have been about 100 naught. Pakistan were dreadful. They won the toss, and this is another slight bugbear of mine. I think teams should bat first more often when they win the toss. Uh, Teams have often got strong batting lineups these days. Get a big score on the board and then see how their opposition deals with the pressure. I know teams like to control things, but teams who've, who've batted first have done pretty well in this tournament so far. Just look at New Zealand. They batted first against Australia. They took the ball by the horns, if you like. They got a good score, put Australia under pressure, and probably would have won that game if the rain hadn't intervened. Anyway, Pakistan, Pakistan. they put India into bat, and what did they do? They opened up with their left-arm spinner, who doesn't really spin it. Imad Wazim. Imad Wazim. Hmm. And... 
as Jared Kimber uh, pointed out in a very good article in, in Cricket Info, if you look at India, the way India play in the first 10 overs in one day international cricket, they like to be about 45, 48 for no wicket, which is exactly where they were because they could just knock Imad Wazim around. But of course, what they did have, they had Hassan Ali in their attack, they had Wahab Riaz, it was a 10.30 start at Edgbaston. Why not go in search of, of some early wickets? Their fielding was, was awful. Uh, their, their death bowling was appalling. They were flogged all round the ground. And their batting was nondescript as well. They, if you look down their lineup, you think, well, who is going to hurt us? Mm. You go down 1 to 11, I would suggest you know, no one, uh, probably Babar Azam could give you a little pinch on the shoulder, but that, that's just about it in terms of, of players who can, who can really hurt you. They, they are, they are a, a, a pale imitation of past sides. Can we put our finger on why? I mean, it must be hard playing every game away from home all the time. I, I think also they've suffered from not playing in the Indian Premier League. No Pakistanis have been allowed to play in that tournament pretty much ever. I know they have their own T20 tournament now in Dubai, but it's not the same as the, the strength and depth and excitement and, and sort of eliteness of the Indian Premier League and being exposed to, to the, the higher level, the real high echelons of, of that form of the game so I guess their one day cricket has just stagnated mm. but bat first why not bat first uh, it's a high pressure game it, you know, India expected to win in a way the pressure was, was more on them and that's what Pakistan was saying before the game so go in there play with a bit of freedom mm. because you know, you're not having to chase play with a bit of freedom bat first try to get a score on the board and see if you can use that pressure that, that can build on, on sides of whom much is expected to, to help you out. But I thought once they conceded, they conceded the first part of the game with the way they, where they opened up and allowed India to, you know, to build a reasonable platform, you know, you know with all those fabulous players that they've got that they're going to score mountains of runs towards the end and they've got wickets in hand, you know, get in there, get a score on the board. And, and try and build the pressure. They, they just didn't do that at all. There was there was no pressure on India at all. I think the uh, the putting in aspect is, is it goes back to the sort of Ricky Ponting art of captaincy, doesn't it? In Edgbaston in '05, when he decided to to field first, famously, lots of teams look at, look at the stats, don't they? And and they go by past experiences of 10.30 starts in England, which notoriously... It's so much drier now, though, Well, that's what I was going to say. the drainage. No, that's exactly what I was going to say. The yeah. stats will probably tell you that in the past, 10.30 starts... I mean, I, I can think back to NatWest finals in the 1980s, 10.30 starts, and the team was, you know, 20, 20 for four after half an hour. But it's totally different now. The pitches are made of a different soil, which is much drier. And even more than that, uh, as well as the drainage on the outfield, which, again, is much better... The, the covering is so good. In, on so many of these grounds, they have these hover covers which blow hot air on the, the pitch overnight, so they don't sweat under cover. They, they're bone dry at 10.30. So actually, your theory about batting first, 10.30 in the morning in England, is spot on. It seems, to, in a way, a cautious decision because teams sort of want to control the game. They feel they can control the game batting second. Yeah, and they? I think that you know a lot of teams, their strength is their batting. So they think, well will invest in that by backing them to chase any score. We don't know how this pitch is going to play. We'll bowl first, see what the pitch is like, and then bat, bat second, backing our depth of sort of players at six, seven, eight, nine to be able to whack the, the runs in the last ten overs. But it is a flawed concept because 
pitches are beautiful at 10.30 in the morning in England. And also, if anything, they deteriorate slightly yeah. uh, as the game wears on. 100 overs of cricket on a pitch in England... Does just you look at that Cardiff pitch? It was just holding a little bit at the end of the game. The old ball just gripping a bit more than it had at the start. Mm. So I think generally you're right. Bat first. Even at the Oval on Thursday, England won that game comfortably. They won by eight wickets with you know two and a yeah. half overs to spare. But I thought they, in a, in a strange way, they they had the potential just to invite a bit of pressure on themselves. Bangladesh got three hundred. Actually, they should have got three thirty, three forty, which would have been a, an interesting chase. But my feeling was there that day. Bat first, score 400, bat Bangladesh out of the game. And they, they sort of, in a way, they gave him a little sniff, but credit to England, it shows how well they're playing, actually, that they knocked that total off without too many problems. Root was absolutely yeah. magnificent. And, and Root, he's just, he's, he's, he's got a wand of the bat, hasn't he? He just waves it and it just, the ball flows off it, which goes back to that thing about rhythm. And in fact, after Roy got out today, I was watching Root bat, and he just has a little step back on the crease as the bowler lets go, and then a little rock forward as the ball comes down. So he's already flowing into the ball as the bowler delivers, and it's it's all about that flow. Kumar Sangakara talks about it a lot, actually. And Bradman, actually, if you go back to the greatest player of all time, he was a great believer in just a little move, as the bowler bowls, back, just fractionally, and then the bat, in a slightly circular, he had this thing called the rotary method, his bat goes a little bit back and out towards gully and then round and in, and he thought that was also important in the, the, maintaining the flow and rhythm of your batting. Roy was just stuck, and but Root has this, you know, he's like a, a symphony. I mean, the way he just flows beautifully through one movement to the next, almost imperceptibly. Yeah, well, a few of the world's top batsmen have had uh, very good starts to the tournament, including uh, Root and Williamson as well. One of the talking points from the, the tournament so far has been the, the, the slow over rates. And Sri Lanka, how can you take four hours and five minutes to bowl your 50 overs? New Zealand was, was slow today. I know it's, it's difficult when it's windy. There was a minute silent, at, of course, at 11 o'clock following the, the terrorist attack in London. That's all, those, those things mm. sort of halt halt the game. I wonder whether the authorities need to um, to rethink this. I, I, we mentioned the IPL final, there was nine overs in the, in the last hour. And so we're talking about white ball cricket, fast, dynamic cricket, but it, 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 it seems to sort of drip along yeah. rather than have, a, a, have that dynamism. Remember, remember the rules they brought in a few years ago was, I remember in domestic cricket, if it was a 50-over game, and you would only bowl 48 overs by 2.30, the cut-off period, that the umpires would have a quick conflab, and then you had to continue bowling to finish the 50, but when you batted, you only got 48 back, only the number that you bowled by 2.30. You got back, which is quite a, a sort of fair way. It stops teams from you know, taking too long and wasting time and so on because they get less overs back when they bat. I suppose the other alternative to really speed it up was a thing I love that they do in schools cricket where they bowl five overs from one end and they don't have to change the field and then they go five overs from the other end like that. And that gets those interminable 20-over matches under 14s which used to take about two hours, 45 minutes and you'd still be there at nine o'clock. They get them over in about an hour and a half because they bowl... Five overs from one end in a row, and then five overs from the other end. Yeah, I'm not sure I'd want to see that happening (laughs) at international cricket level. I mean, one thing you could do, really radical thing, is to every over you don't bowl, you could you 
take one of the opposition off when they bat. So you only have nine wickets. You only have eight wickets. If you, that would concentrate some minds. I mean, if you if you had something that really forced teams to bowl their overs, so they would almost you know jog through or uh, you know rush back to your mark. To, to, to I mean, bowl fines don't work, do they? Well, fines they, they banned Rupal Taranga for two matches. Yeah. I and mean, that might co- concentrate Sri Lankan minds. They've already lost their their captain Angelo Matthews through injury, and now the vice captain Rupal Taranga has been banned for a couple of matches. That's probably about the tournament as well, because I can't see. Shrankin qualifying for the semi-finals, but it's just—it's just you should be able to bowl um, the overs roughly in time. You might be five or ten minutes over. I mean, is that being a bit grumpy, or as a spec? Do you care as a spectator when when you're you're watching? I think it's well because you kind of time your day roughly, don't you, to fit in with the timings of the match. So. You know, if it's supposed to finish at two thirty, the first innings, that's when you've agreed to meet your mates in the bar, or go and get your lunch, or if you're at home watching, you know, put the kettle on, whatever it is. I mean, you kind of try and structure your day around. It's a long day anyway. You want to have that knowing that interval is going to be roughly at the time that they say it is, and to sort of wait another forty-five minutes just messes everybody up. Should we finish with our highlight, low light, and our Royal London Player of the Week? Well, I'm going to nominate uh, honourable mention for Kane Williamson. Uh, Joe Root has had a, a good start to the tournament. But I'm going to nominate Tammy McBall as our Royal London Player of the Week. 128 and 95 against two very good attacks, admittedly, at, you know, in good batting conditions or a good pitch at the Oval, but in a team that you know, really requires so much from him. You know, not a top team, but he's done it against two top teams. So. Tammy McBall is my player of the week. And how good were the Aussies against him, do you reckon? Did they bowl well to him? Yeah, they, 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 well, they, they, they bowled pretty well overall. I mean, they, they had a grip on everyone else. I mean, he was the only one to really challenge them. I mean, he's a thrilling batsman to watch every mm. now and again. He you know, plays orthodox in an orthodox way. He's actually reined his game in. because mm, he, he has. To, be, he, to start with, he used yeah. to be, you know, he'd just attack everything. Yeah. But he's, he's played really sensibly in this tournament. But every now and again, there's a, a dramatic moment when he, the bowler's rushing in to bowl. You know, it could be anyone. It could be any of the, the Australian quick bowlers who are pretty formidable. And he charges down the pitch and you almost hold your breath, waiting to see what's going to happen. Is he going to be clonked on the head or is he going to put it into the stand or is he just going to be cleaned up but it, it, it's worked for him so far um, the tournament's gonna, probably going to lose him after the the group stage but uh, he, he's had an excellent uh, start to the tournament so he is our Royal London Player of the Week let's finish with our our highlight low light I, I think we've, we've sort of touched on low light so far um, we're going to add a bit more to it I think Pakistan's performance was my low light of the week uh, they lost Wahab Riaz during the match against India, and this sort of just sort of sums things up in a, in a strange way, how his injury was described. I think you've got it there, haven't you? Yes, it's actually Nick Holt, the, the, the Telegraph journalist, who, who posted this. Wahab injury announced as a deltoid ligament complex after an aversion injury mechanism. I mean, what the <laughs> is that? It's, it's just jargon gone mad, isn't it? Why couldn't they just say, uh, well, he's got a bit of a strain? Or he had an injured ego after being thrashed all around Edgbaston by an uh, Indian batsman of, of high quality. How would they have described Derek Pringle uh, straining his back, writing a letter, I wonder? What would that have been? What would the words of that have been? Some kind of literary explanation? Well, we probably need Derek Pringle to write it himself in, in, in a literary way. Highlight of the week? Well, I'm going to go for... Mark Wood's ball to dismiss 
Kane Williamson. It was the decisive ball of England's qualification to the semi-finals. Yeah, it turned the game. Williamson was looking very dangerous. In fact, he just looked so composed. He looked as if he had it completely under control. And it just came from nowhere, really, that ball, which is what Mark Wood is about. I don't know who anyone in the world could have been able to play that. Let's hope he can produce some more. So England into the semi-finals this time next week. We'll know who their opponents will be and who the other semi-finalists will be. We'll have a look back at the Champions Trophy's second week next week. For now, thanks for joining us. See you next week. Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.